folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottles and cans turn blue when your beer is cold, and that way you know it's time to chill. Hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today wherever you listen to podcasts. Matthew Collar here. And before we get to my conversation with Kalen Kaler of Bleacher Report, in which we talk about quarterback situations, the old quarterbacks, the mid-tier, the young quarterbacks, we're going to go through all of them and what it means to have one of those quarterbacks as uh, your franchise QB, that in just a moment. But first, uh, I want to start out by talking about Anthony Barr being put on IR with a torn pec. And here's my takeaway on this that the Vikings are going to have an opportunity this year at a lot of different positions, including linebacker, to learn exactly what they have on defense going forward and now add linebacker to the list because already we've been finding out what they have along the defensive line. Yannick Ngakwe was terrific on Sunday and showed exactly why they traded for him and why they will likely at some point sign him to a long-term contract extension. We have seen very little from Armand Watts. We've seen very little from Julio Johnson, Hercules Mata'afa, Jalen Holmes. All these players are being given a chance to make some noise here for the future, and through two games, not too many of them have. Eric Wilson, now with Anthony Barr out, he enters that conversation. And I did a big piece for PurpleInsider.com on Eric Wilson earlier this offseason and talked to a lot of people who were very impressed by his rise to someone who has had a big role over the last couple of seasons, and now he's going to be a starter on this team and and take over the Anthony Barr role, and I think that that opens the door for potentially the Vikings going with Eric Wilson in the future. If they were to move on from Anthony Barr, it would make them about $7.5 million, 7.7 to be exact, on the salary cap for next year, and he's set to make $15.5 million cap hit for next year. So if they want to do things like sign Brian O'Neill to a long-term contract extension, franchise tag Yannick Ngakwe potentially, and and so forth, 
and have other salary cap hits like Kirk Cousins go up in 2021, they might be looking around and saying, well, where can we make some extra space? If Eric Wilson plays tremendously well down the road, that gives them the opportunity to do that. However, I would still say and caution that Mike Zimmer has always been a huge fan of Anthony Barr. So this does not mean it's necessarily the end for Barr. It just leaves the possibility of them finding something very, very good in Eric Wilson. So now on a week-to-week basis, we're going to see how he plays out. And the other guy to watch closely is Troy Dye. He was there for a fourth-round pick that a lot of draft analysts were in love with and thought this guy could be a top-two-round pick with the ability to cover out of the back, you know, running backs out of the backfield and tight ends. He had a great uh, you know, athletic profile for what a linebacker is in the 2020s. And I think the Vikings felt like they got a steal in Troy Dye. Well, now he takes over the Eric Wilson role, and we could see him play 20, 30% of the snaps. If someone gets banged up, we could see a lot of Troy Dye. And it's 0-2. They're in a very, very tough spot here. They could turn it around with a couple of wins, and all of a sudden we're having the discussion about the NFC North again. But as we have these conversations about the future, this is going to be a major focus of mine going forward here. Who can play? And in the secondary, we saw Jeff Gladney have a pretty tough first start. Six catches on eight targets, over 70 yards against for Jeff Gladney. But through the season, we're going to be looking, how does he grow? How does Cameron Dantzler grow? Can Holton Hill turn around a tough start? Will they eventually sign Mike Hughes to a fifth-year option? And the only position where we weren't looking at this through the lens of evaluation is linebacker. And now with Anthony Barr out, that's how we're going to look at it. Uh, I would also say that it's not an easy position to just take over. That I believe Mike Zimmer, when he talks about the value of Anthony Barr and all the things that he brings to the table is someone who gets the calls and makes those calls and can communicate and he can cover running backs out of the backfield, he can cover tight ends, he can cover a lot of space in zones, he's very effective blitzing. And the only thing is we won't see him in a huge blitzing role, which I know that a lot of you have wanted for a long, long time, is Anthony Barr to be an edge rusher. I guess that's not going to happen. So maybe if he does end up on another team, they'll make him an edge rusher, and we'll get to see that play out. But it won't be this year because he's out for the season with a torn pec. So uh, other quick takeaways from watching a little bit of the film back, looking at the statistics is we talked about with Pat Elfline, it could be worse. It was worse. Drew Samia talked today and said he didn't feel out of place out there, but he looked that way uh, in the game on Sunday against the Colts. So uh, Mike Zimmer said that he's going to sit down with the offense and the leaders on the offense and try to figure out what has been going on. And I look at this like... There will be games where this offense gets it together. There's just too much talent. But how do they solve the issues where the quarterback just doesn't look like he's willing to throw it to anybody who's covered? Wide receivers are not getting open. Stephon Diggs, huge day on Sunday, of course, uh, in Buffalo. That just like saying with Pat Elfline, oh, it can't be worse. So, you know, it's, it's easy to replace. It's fine. Or even with the corners. Oh, it can't be worse. It's fine. Well, you know, thinking that drafting a wide receiver, throwing in another guy, putting another player in a different position in Adam Thielen, 
oh, it'll just make up the difference. Well, it's harder than that. And now I think that they have to be aggressive and I think that they have to be creative if they're going to make this a fun season on offense. I think a lot of us that look at it now and say, look, thinking that this is going to be 10-6 and six that we predicted before the year, that's pretty tough. But could this still be fun if they take a more aggressive approach? I think that that potential is there, and it will be quite the turnaround if Gary Kubiak and Mike Zimmer figure out how to make this a winning team. Okay, let's get to the conversation with Kalen Kaler of Bleacher Report. A Bleacher Report contributing NFL columnist and feature writer, former MMQB writer, and also author of one of the craziest article series I've ever read on Kabir Bajabiamila, Kalen Kaler, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Can we just talk about that for a second? Uh, first of all, it was amazing work on Baja Biamilla. If people haven't seen it, they should go to your Twitter because you've got it pinned at Kaylin Kaler. Um, six months of work into a complete wild ride of someone that I used to play with on Madden because he had great speed yeah. so you could rush him <laughs> off the edge. And yeah. um, I guess the, the main thing I took away is with the football players we cover, sometimes there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than we understand. Yeah, so Kabir made local news in Green Bay back in December for a very weird incident where he um, he wasn't arrested, but police had to show up and they arrested two people that he's associated with. And they were originally described as his followers, but really they're just sort of members of this extreme religious group that he's part of. So he kind of made local news in Green Bay, and I remember reading those headlines like on the Green Bay Press-Gazette and being like, what is going on here? There's a lot more than meets the eye. Um, and he actually did sit down with an interview with the Green Bay Press-Gazette even then, sort of explaining his religious beliefs and, you know, what happened. Because basically the incident was he was unhappy that his children, he is now divorced, but he was unhappy that his children, who he hadn't seen in two years or like spoken to in two years, were part of a Christian Christmas program. Um, he now doesn't identify as Christian and he thinks Christmas is a pagan ritual. So he was very unhappy that his kids are part of this. So he, he has two of his um, members of this religion um, show up and videotape and it caused a scene and the police had to come because they were trespassing and all of these different things. But it basically set off all the alarms of this is a great story. And I wanted to figure out how did he, because he was really well known in his career for being a very um, fanatic Christian, someone who would always bring up uh, God and Jesus and, and his religious beliefs in all of his interviews. He really used his platform for that. Um, so this was really interesting to me of like, what was the transformation to where he is now, where he's involved in this group that some people I interviewed referred to as a cult and people who are close to him are like very concerned where his life is headed um, because, you know, he is divorced now and it's kind of really separated. His his new beliefs have completely separated his family. And in my interview with him, he doesn't even like recognize his eight children with his pre, his former wife. He doesn't even recognize them as like really being his children. He he talked about them. He, he compared them to plants at one point, like crops. It was very, it, it was just really interesting. And I think with where America is today with so many people going down the YouTube rabbit holes and becoming extreme in their opinions and their views, it, it felt really relatable. And it felt, it, it was it was really interesting to sort of learn how easy it is to go down that path without even really knowing that you're changing your entire life and, and maybe believing in 
conspiratorial things. So that was what I took away that was so fascinating is like how easy it is to do that and how we see that in all different other areas of, of life here. Uh, that's a, it's a great point, and, and that was kind of my sense as well of somebody who seemed to have a real inquisitive mind and yet sort of once you connect yourself into the, the YouTube machine and you can be influenced by the wrong people, and also there's a lot of people who are very willing to take advantage of those who are looking for direction, and it seemed like that is what happened to him. Um, so I won't ruin the rest of the piece, but it was brilliantly written and reported, and I highly suggest that I tweeted out a while back, but it's, it's tagged in, in your um, – in your Twitter there. So you'll need like three hours to read it. Yes. Yeah. It does take a while, but it's, it's totally worth it. And it's, it's worth it, it reporting. And also just, I thought too, that, you know, when we think about players and, and what we see on the field and what we see in the locker room, we make a lot of judgments about, well, this guy's good locker room guy, or this is it. And what really stuck out to me was that, he was kind of driving everybody with the Packers insane, including Aaron Rodgers. And yeah. he was he was really disruptive with it. Eventually, the, the kind of farther he went and the more aggressive he got about his fanaticism, he started to drive the team insane. And so sometimes we see that a team moves on from a player or cuts a player. And we all go, well, what? That guy had five sacks last year. What are you doing? And um, sometimes there's more than meets the eye, I would say, at sports. And we always need to consider that. There's so much that goes on in the locker room that we as reporters don't know about and that, you know, fans don't know about. And it's so interesting. I mean, he's he's been out of the league for over 10 years now, but it's so interesting to go back and talk to the former teammates who can really tell you, like, what exactly it was like to be sharing a locker room with this guy who couldn't have a normal conversation without pivoting towards Christianity and not even in a nice way, but in a very black and white judgmental way always sort of putting people kind of making people feel guilty for their life choices and their sins so that was really fascinating yes for sure so definitely go find it and it's worth your three hours i promise you um (laughs) so let's talk about quarterbacks because you wrote about how tom brady is absolutely washed and so when he wins MVP, people will tweet at you and tell you that you were wrong. Um, now, that people are already doing that to me with Aaron Rodgers because it's been a running joke on the show, Rodgers is washed, and uh, so far through two weeks, not so much. But what, no. I, what, I, what it made me think of when you wrote about Tom Brady is how the quarterbacks in the NFL have sort of broken off into these very clear tiers. You have old dudes who are legends who are still really, really good at football, including Brady, at least for yesterday. Uh, And then you have your middle tier of Kirk Cousins, Matt Stafford, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo even starts to fall in this sort of category of guys where there needs to be a lot that goes right for them to win. They're very expensive. They're middle-aged at this point, and their teams are always sort of looking at them with a bit of a side eye, like, should we be paying you this much? Can you really get it done? And then there is the young up-and-coming quarterbacks who are, I mean, changing the way that we look at the game. And you and I were talking about Kyler Murray in this. So let me let me just start with what we think of the old guys because we're recording this on Monday. So if Breeze throws five interceptions, unlikely, but uh, we can change the way we talk about him. But it is remarkable to me, and I'd love your opinion on, on why – Uh, these quarterbacks who are going into their 40s are still able to do what they're doing in a league where we're constantly talking about the Russell Wilsons and Deshaun Watsons and Patrick Mahomeses, and yet 
Rodgers, Breeze, Brady, so at least so far, are still able to do it. I don't know if you, you have an opinion from your travels and people that you've talked to of how that is still able to happen. I think a big part of it is just their wealth of experience. And, um, you know, in Brady's case, I was talking to people around the league asking the question, like, does anyone think that he's washed? And nobody, I got one person who was like, yeah, you know, this is a concerning pattern of his pick sixes and his interceptions at this point. But everybody else, and these are scouts, um, and these are kind of assistant coach type people that I was talking to, and everyone else was very clearly, like, hesitant to provide any bulletin board material or any sort of criticism, because I think they've just historically been on the wrong side of a Brady comeback win or a Brady dominant victory too many times. And I think that experience really serves Brady well, um, in especially with starting over as a new team. Um, so, and I, and I do think that they've just come so far in, in terms of taking care of their bodies. Like somebody sent me, somebody tweeted at me a picture of Ken Stabler at like <laughs> age 40. I think yeah. he was, he was 40. So he was three years younger than Brady at the time the picture was taken, but he looked like he was like 65. Like he looked awful. And that's just a big part of like, you know, that was the era where like players are still smoking cigarettes, you know, like off the field. So I think just in terms of body care, it's just gotten the technology and and the knowledge of how to maintain your body so you can continue to play at this level is just so much greater than it was even 15, you know, even when these guys started playing, um, you know, 20 years ago in Brady's case. So I think that's a big part of it too. And, And I do think they're just able to stay relevant just because of their wealth of experience that they have. You know, in Phillip Rivers' case, I actually think the Colts, you know, would be better served if they had just played Jacoby Brissett. I think he deserved a second chance to prove himself as the starter after last season where, you know, he wasn't amazing, but he also wasn't awful. He was just kind of middle of the road. So I do think in the Rivers case, I'm not sure if I would place him in this tier with Brady. I don't know if we count Rodgers as being that old. I think so, yeah. I would, yeah. So it's like Brady, Rodgers, Breeze. Ben Roethlisberger, I don't know if I would put Rivers up there just because of week one and his performance last season. But, you know, if the Colts defense plays like they did in week two, I think, you know, it'll be better for him. He just needs a defense that's really going to pick up the slack, you know. I think somebody helped out their defense. I can't think of (laughs) who exactly, uh, which we could get to a little bit uh, in the middle tier. But staying with the old guys, my theory on this is that uh, that what I mean, your body point is exactly right. I mean, I saw Drew Brees worked with a throwing coach to maximize every bit of whatever is still hanging off of his shoulder there. And mm-hmm. even from Rivers' perspective, his first two games haven't been magical. I don't see them as a Super Bowl team, but he could still play NFL quarterback at his age with the amount of miles that are on that body and, and still win games. And he threw for 360 yards. He's just going to throw that interception that will be problematic every single week. Um, so that that can be an issue for them being a real contender. But the fact that he's still doing it, I mean, I remember you go back to the 90s and you'd see quarterbacks at 32, 33, 34, where you're talking about retiring. And when Vinny Testaverde was in his 40s, it was like, this guy is a 1,000 years old. How is he surviving? And yet now it's the expectation that these guys can get to that point. And I think 
that it's the body combined with how complicated the game is and how smart a lot of the coaches are and innovative that you could just keep piling on different things with these guys. Josh McDaniels with Brady could do whatever he wants. Bruce Arians can do whatever he wants with, with these older quarterbacks where less experienced quarterbacks, you can't add things and add things and add things and add things. And also there's only so many ways you can play defense in the NFL. And these guys have seen every single way you can play defense and they know how to handle every single way. And I think that those things are kind of combining plus the rules that you can't, you know, grab them by the horse collar and throw them five Mm -hmm. yards like Lawrence Taylor would have. Um, I think that all those things are sort of a, a culmination that are allowing these quarterbacks to play longer. And you made a good point that made me think of the, the college game. When these guys played in college, they were playing, you know, they were taking snaps under center. They were doing more where they had to voice longer play calls. They weren't looking to the sideline, getting a, a symbol, and then a, a one-word play call. Whereas now the college game has changed so much um, that these college quarterbacks, when they come into the NFL – it's such a harder transition for them. And it's so much harder for a rookie quarterback to really be good and to really contribute because they are tasked with learning these 15, 18 word play calls that they've never had to do in the past. So I think that's a big part of it too. um, Is it's just taking longer to break in these younger quarterbacks because the college game has changed so much where it's, you know, almost completely, completely different than the NFL pro style offense. So I think that's a big part of it. Now, my question on this tier, because we all know these quarterbacks, we're all very familiar with them, is do you want to be in this tier? And I think the answer is mostly yes. I mean, the Colts example where they'll probably go 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9 and nine or something right. like that, and they'll look at it and go, yeah, maybe we should have drafted a quarterback or maybe we should have given Brissett another chance because we weren't really a Super Bowl contender to begin with. Everybody else, though, Maybe Atlanta. I think Matt Ryan is in this tier as well. Maybe yeah. Atlanta. You, so, so the way that I'm thinking about this tier is if you've got the Hall of Famer, Surefire can absolutely still win you a Super Bowl, then yes, you want to be in this tier. But there's quarterbacks who are kind of coming toward this tier eventually where you might go, are you going to want Matt Stafford in this tier? Do you want Matt Ryan in this tier? Like guys who are getting a little bit older that you're looking forward and going, I wonder – what that's going to look like or, or who's going to want these guys or, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's just going to be the hall of famers. It's going to be everybody who ends up at 40 eventually in that tier. And then mm-hmm. it kind of gets hard. Cause I think if you're Atlanta, Ryan could still play obviously, but you know, I mean, you're really need in need of a rebuild there around mm-hmm. them. And yet you've got this older franchise quarterback. Mm-hmm. I like Matt Ryan a lot. And I think, I mean, yesterday's game was just insane. Yes, yes <laughs> it was. And I really think, you know, of anyone who's innocent in that game, it's probably Matt Ryan. Yeah, but, that's true. That's you know, true. I mean, I, you can't really pin any of the of the Cowboys come back on him. Um, so I, I do think – I think Matt Ryan is reliable. And I'm actually way higher on Matt Stafford than you are. Like, I would put Stafford in the top tier of quarterbacks. Um, and I think he's one of the – most like there's two players that come to mind right now that I just feel so bad for all every week. And it's Allen Robinson with the Bears <laughs> because yeah. he just deserves a better quarterback. And that's on him. Cause he could have played somewhere else in free agency of the last time he was a free agent. He chose Chicago. So I, I feel bad for him, but 
he did choose Chicago, knowing Mitch Trubisky was going to be the quarterback for the next few years. But he had Blake Bortles before that, and so I just feel so bad for that guy. But the second one is Matt Stafford. Um, if Matt Stafford – last year, Matt Stafford, nobody really noticed because the Lions' defense was so bad. But he was playing at, like, an MVP level before his back injury, which happened, I think, midway through the season last year. So he was having a great first eight weeks as far as Detroit's offense and his play goes. Um, and I just think it, he's just been on some really bad teams. And, again, this year, Detroit's defense looks awful. So I don't think he's going to get his due again. And he also hasn't played up to his standard for the first two weeks, I would say. Um, but he's, an, he's a guy where I think if he was on a different team and, like, freed of Detroit, I think people would give him the credit he deserves because I think he's really talented and um, – I would take. I would definitely want him as an old guy. <laughs> so uh, I, I agree. I agree that. I mean, last year, of course, he was marvelous. That he has had the short end of the stick here. I, I did a podcast with some Lions reporters who were talking about how they've only run for a hundred yards like a dozen times since Barry Sanders retired. It's. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the numbers on how bad they've been, even in the running game and in the defense, long term, have been remarkable. From but by the same token. If he's Patrick Mahomes level talent, they're probably better. I think you know he's sort of like that next notch down to where you get into your your middle guys like Jimmy Garoppolo, like Kirk Cousins. I think I, I think I would take Stafford over Cousins, but you know you Definitely. compare you compare their careers and you go well. You know Cousins has had a lot more weapons around him a lot of times, but Stafford still hasn't had the winning success over a pretty long sample size, right? Lots of different teammates, lots of different coaches, and nobody can quite get him over that hump. So I kind of go, well, what's the, what's, what am I missing here between the I see him make these crazy throws and he's very talented versus, you know, what, what he's had to deal with and then the fact that he just hasn't done a whole lot of winning, right? So it's like how do I, how do I balance all of those things? And I think that this is what we run into with all those quarterbacks in that other tier in the Jimmy Garoppolo, I might even put Jared Goff there, even though he's younger, but it's yeah. second, mm-hmm. second contract. And this is, to me, this is the hardest tier to deal with if you're a team, is the Kirk Cousins tier, because you, you're always on, you're always having that conversation, like, should we have paid him? Should we pay him? And what does it take around him to win? Because clearly, even though Stafford is good, it takes more than they've been able to put around him. Yeah, and I think the problem here is there's just not, there's really just not 32 starting quarterbacks to begin with, you know? So it's like, if you have someone who's pretty good, like you might as well pay them. So I see where the Vikings, you know, you can absolutely see why the Vikings made the decision that they did and why, you know, they extended him the way that they did. Um, So it makes a lot of sense. It's just kind of like how there aren't really 32 number one receivers in the league either. There really aren't 32 starting quarterbacks. Um, it's just a shortage of that elite talent. And I think the interesting part about maybe Cousins' decline in the first couple weeks this season, which we were sort of talking about before this, is the trade of Stephon Diggs to Buffalo. And both of the teams that traded their number one receivers this offseason, so Houston with DeAndre Hopkins and Minnesota with Stephon Diggs, both of those teams, they're both they're own four collectively. And the the teams that got those players are 4-0. So 
you know, you can't say it's because they got these number one receivers, but in Diggs' case, you know, he had 153 yards, 13 targets, eight catches, and a touchdown yesterday. He leads the league in passing yards per game. He's tied with Calvin Ridley. They have 359 yards um, this season in receiving yards. Um, Hopkins is fifth in the league in receiving yards. So these are players that are having a huge influence on their team's offense, and both the Cardinals and the Bills' offense are, you know, up there in the top scoring offenses in the league. So I do think that's an interesting point of how the teams that did that appear to be the losers. (laughs) And I think Adam Thielen is better served as a number two receiver. Um, You know, what do you think? No. Yeah. I mean, I completely agree that Stefan Diggs just makes people better. And by a lot, Uh, if you look at Case Keenum, if you look at Teddy Bridgewater, when they were throwing to Stefan Diggs, they collectively in his career, quarterbacks have 110 quarterback rating when throwing his way. I mean, that's, you're playing at MVP level when you target Stephon Diggs. And when I've seen, you know, because I'm originally from Buffalo, seeing the followers uh, come into my mentions or people that I still follow from Buffalo tweeting about it. It's like, did you guys in Minnesota know Stephon Diggs was this good? Like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we did. Yeah. And uh, Kirk Cousins last year has Thielen go down and just targets Diggs all the time. And, it's, and it worked phenomenally for their offense and not having someone who's guaranteed to be able to create his own separation all the time. It it impacts cousins. And that's where I think the question gets really interesting, even with someone like Dak Prescott, who I put in this same sort of cousins, Stafford, Garoppolo golf tier that all of them, I think are subject to being impacted heavily by what's around them. And we're really seeing that over the first couple of weeks with Cousins. I don't expect Kirk Cousins to play like this for a full season. I'm sure that he'll have his good games. But in terms of the full picture, in 2017, Washington's team falls apart and Cousins' performance goes way down. And Jared Goff, last year, his offensive line couldn't block. His performance goes way down. And that's where I think this is really interesting in terms of how, A, how these quarterbacks age, like we're talking about with the tiers, but also just the money that gets doled out for them that I think that the, there might be some teams that look at it and say, like you said, oh, guaranteed we have a guy that if we put a good team around him, he'll win. But the other way of looking at it is if he can only win if he has a great team around him, how does that calculus work with the salary cap and fitting him and all these other players that we would need to win? Yeah, and I would put Carson Wentz in here too. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I think he was a good example of that, your point, last season when their receiving core was just horrendous um, due to injuries. Uh, And we just saw the Eagles really struggle. Like they couldn't get anything going on offense, and um, it was was really tough for them in in the stretch where they were without speed in their receiving core. So I think I would put Carson Wentz right into this category as well. yeah. So here's my question. The prevailing thought is, like, do you want one of these guys? Do you want an expensive Carson Wentz? Do you want an expensive Jared Goff, an expensive Jimmy Garoppolo, an expensive Matt Stafford? Or, I mean, even if you, th- if you put, let's, let's even exclude Stafford because maybe you put him in a, a higher tier of quality than the other guys. But just take those guys. It, with Dallas, I think a lot of people went, Dallas, what are you doing? What are you doing? But Dak Prescott, I think, falls in this same category, and they're very close to being 0-2, even despite all the weapons that they have uh, on the offensive side. So that's, that's my question is, would you rather be 
only in the tier of old guys or only in the tier of young guys, or is this still a decent place to be? I think it depends on what the alternative is because, I mean, as you said, that's a tough question because, you know, as I said before, like there's just not 32 starting quarterbacks. So it's it's sort of like what is the alternative? If the alternative is like Mitch Trubisky, then, (laughs) you know, and that's it. He's an interesting person too because I don't know where he would fall if he falls under sort of the people that we're not, the young guys that we're not sure about yet. Um, or if he's now old enough to be just a total game manager type. I think he falls under the EJ manual. We're pretty sure you're bad by right. like the third year of your career. And we're just, and, and your team, or really maybe the Blake Bortles of like your team got kind of convinced, but the reality is the guy's not right. good. Right. So it just, it really just depends on the alternative. Um, you know, there are, there are these sort of, guys that are really serviceable backups around like Andy Dalton. Um, and I think Mitch will probably be headed that direction at some point in his career. Um, so there is like this tier of like one B category quarterbacks. So I think I would definitely want this middle tier over any of them. Uh, but I think I'd rather have an old uh, semi washed legend. <laughs> Want to remind you to go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods. They just launched their official collaboration with Bud Grant. Yes, Bud Grant. You can now get your official Bud Grant shirt and Man Cave art print. If you haven't seen it yet, you have to check it out, and we're going to hook you up with free shipping for your order. Use code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. That is SodaStick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K, .com, original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, code PURPLEINSIDER for free shipping. Get back to the conversation in just a minute, but first, Visa knows that local businesses are the heartbeat of our communities. Whether they're our corner stores, our coffee spots, or our favorite shops, local businesses have always been there for us. They remember our orders, they call us by name, always giving back, making a difference, and going the extra mile to support us and our community. And right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. So, now it's time for us to return the favor. The next time you go shopping, make the choice to shop at local businesses and look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. I guess what what comes to mind for me with the middle tier is that, I mean, the last two Super Bowl quarterbacks from the NFC are in the tier that we're talking about. So if you've got the right timeline and you've got the right Mm -hmm. roster and you've got the right coach, then you want one of these guys. And this is where I think after two weeks, the biggest conversation we're having is you had that situation with Kirk in 2018 and 2019 with a great team and everything kind of went Mm -hmm. your way and you had a chance at it. It didn't work out, but you had a chance at it. So that's more justifiable than where they are now, which is in the need to rebuild. And that's kind of with the Stafford thing where he gets caught up in this. They're constantly changing coaches, rebuilding, changing coordinators and all those things. And he's never had that McVay or Shanahan and and sort of perfect situation that aligns for him to be able to go to a Super Bowl. So I think the answer is, yes, you can do that with that type of quarterback and be in a good spot, but only if it's the right situation. Now, here's a guy, I want to know your opinion on Cam Newton and what he's done in these first 
too, because I think I'd put him in this category still, but he's sort of a unique monster when it comes to this because he just plays the position so much differently than everyone else. And he was thought to be in a bad spot with New England. Didn't look bad last night when he was throwing like crazy uh, all over the field and, and so forth. So I, I'm curious what you think about how this ended up to be with, with Newton being passed over uh, by so many teams. Maybe they didn't want to have a mid-tier quarterback that or a lot of the teams that were set up already had them. I don't know. But I look at Chicago and go, why not? Did, why didn't yeah. you why didn't you do the cam thing? Yeah, that's infuriating. I don't like thinking about that too much. <laughs> really. It's just I don't get it. I don't understand it at all. Um with Cam, based off of how he's playing week 1, week 2, I'm tempted to put him in like the top tier um mm. as far as like these dual threat guys go. Um I totally agree. I don't I I would like to see Cam Newton being available in a different season because I think like next year or last year, because I think he was really hurt by the fact that he had all these injuries that people weren't sure about and they weren't really able to get full confidence on, you know, doing a physical with him, getting their team doctor to get their hands on him, getting him into their building when their building was closed for the majority of this off season. So I do think the whole coronavirus limitations impacted the teams that may have been interested in him. Um, So I'd like to see this take place in a different year and see if it ends differently. But I was really surprised that it took so long for him to find a home because yes, you know, the foot injury was concerning because that's so much of his game. And yes, his shoulder injuries are also a question mark, but you know, I think, I just think he's proved he had proved enough and was wouldn't be that expensive. Like, what is he worth to the Patriots right now? Like, $1 million, I think? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're paying nothing for him. It's totally insane. And that's why it just makes no – it makes no sense to me that the Bears wouldn't take a flyer on that when they freaking traded a fourth-round pick for Nick Foles and took on a giant contract yeah. and he's your backup. I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to me. And with that decision, I just think they really wanted to give Mitch another shot. And if they brought in Cam, Cam was the clear starter. Like, if Cam was healthy, he is ten times better than Mitch Trubisky. So I just think in that case, they they almost want – it feels like they wanted to make a move to make everyone feel better. Like, oh, we're doing something. But they didn't bring anyone who was – bring in anyone that was clearly more talented than Mitch, because I don't think Nick Foles is clearly better. I think he can be better in certain situations, uh, but I don't think he was the clear winner. And and from their training camp, he didn't outright win the job. So yeah, I think that's what happened there, but Cam has been awesome. And I, I am not surprised at all. I picked Bill Belichick as my coach of the year because of that, because I, I thought, you know, if anybody is a coach that can adapt to their player's strength. It's Belichick. We've seen that so many times. Like there really isn't a Patriots style. There only was because Tom Brady was their quarterback for 20 years. And as Bill said recently in a press conference, like everything they were doing on offense was for Tom was to fit Tom's strength. So now we see a completely different Patriots offense because they have a different quarterback and they're able to design things specifically for that better than any other team in the league. Um, I just want to say you're not bitter about Chicago not signing Cam. It seems like you've gotten over it. You're totally fine with it. There's no problems there. Uh, uh, maybe in like five years I'll be. <laughs> I, don't I, 
I mean, it's really the first bad quarterback decision Chicago's ever made. So I. uh... (laughs) I grew up a Bears fan, and sometimes it's hard to, like, let go of the fact that Bears fans are just never going to have a quarterback. I mean, it is crazy that, like, aside from Sid Luckman, Jay Cutler is your god quarterback. Like, he's Uh the guy that if you're drafting all Bears quarterbacks, you put number one. Uh And yeah. then, then after number one, it's like Kyle Orton. I don't know. Yeah. I Rex mean, Gr- Jim McMahon obviously was super I, cool. I picked Rex, Rex Grossman for the uh, 2006. Rex Grossman. Yes, <laughs> yes. Rex is our quarterback. Well, I will always uh, remember it for that. Well, uh, aside from that, so that's a, there's almost like a little there's like a little corner. It's not a, it's not a tier. It's a little corner of a tier that is the quarterback isn't believed in anymore by his team and then goes somewhere else into a good situation. And New England, I don't care who their receivers are, is always a good situation. This is the Ryan Tannehill tier. And it might be the Kirk Cousins tier you know, in some ways because he went from Washington to Minnesota. And so there's, there's almost this little, like, you got to have your binoculars on if you're a team without a quarterback, always looking for who, what, what idiot franchise might let go a good quarterback. Although I would say Carolina was justified considering where they are. They weren't going to win. But even in a way, Teddy is in this of, hey, this guy was a backup and he's kind of out there. So let's see if this works out. And it might work out for them. It certainly worked out for Tennessee. Now, I think that the younger tier is fascinating because it's both the best and the worst. If you're the New York Giants and Daniel Jones is no better at all than he was last year, and Sam Darnold is on year three and he's no better than he was, and his team is tremendously dumb. He's like, by the way, Darnold ends up in the other tier that goes to another team and is good eventually. I but <laughs> yeah. Total, total aside on that. But it is amazing to me, and this goes for kind of, hey, Vikings fans, think out in the future here if you want to move on from Cousins. It can be both the best and it can be the worst because if you've built a good team and then your young guy isn't good, all of a sudden your franchise is in super big trouble. If So Josh Allen's been good so far. If Josh Allen falls apart over the next few weeks and he's awful this year, the Buffalo Bills have put together this phenomenal roster and can't win because their young quarterback isn't good. So it's this this is the, the, the most fascinating tier because if you hit on it, oh my gosh, you're amazing for a long time. Yep, I think – Daniel Jones actually gets an unfair uh, rap this season. I mean, he's got nothing, nothing. And now he has less than nothing because Saquon Barkley, I don't know, did they say if he tore his ACL? Yeah, Uh, Schefter reported he tore his ACL. So sorry to everyone's fantasy team. I mean, they're going to have to redesign their entire offense because for the last three years or however long Barkley has been in the league, it's been the Barkley show. That's how they've kind of been running things there, which is not really smart considering the injury risk at that position. And yeah, I mean, so I do, I feel for Daniel Jones. I, I do think he has a lot of potential still. And I think he's doing honestly the best that he can on that team. So I, I'm willing to, I, I'm willing to say that Daniel Jones is going to be a good quarterback um Josh Allen totally agree like he's been great um I think I think they're going to be really good and I think he's just going to continue to make to learn to make smarter decisions and those Josh Allen mistakes where like week one where he just coughs up that coughs up the ball um playoff game too yeah exactly 
I think those mistakes are slowly going to eliminate themselves. But at the, on the other hand, like they're leading the league in, in passing yards right now. So I think, I think it's sort of a trade-off I, and I think it's going to be worth it. And in the end, I don't think they're going to be losing games because of Josh Allen this season. Um, so I really like what he's doing. And then another guy in this category who's only had one game that I wanted to talk about was Justin Herbert, the shocker yesterday. Um, obviously he's only played one game now, but the dude had five. He said in his post-game press conference, he had five to 10 seconds before the kickoff when he found out he was going to start the game because Tyrod Taylor had some mysterious chest pain. They said the Chargers said after the game that he was having difficulty breathing. So they sent him to the hospital um, and it happened like right after pregame warmup. So there was literally no time. Like this was not gamesmanship by Anthony Lynn, like keeping it a secret that Justin Herbert was going to start. This was like complete unknown territory and I think I mean he was incredible for having five seconds notice so I would put him in this in in sort of the let's see what we get you know could be great category I mean after his first game it looks awesome and you know he had one kind of boneheaded rookie mistake where he threw an interception instead of he could have just ran for the yardage for the first down and he chose to throw it but other than that, he had 311 yards, 66% completion rate, 14 yards per catch. I mean, it was really good. And the thing that confuses me about him, and so Tyrod Taylor, I don't know what tier he would be in. He's in, the, like, he's in the Ryan Fitzpatrick tier of this guy starts because we got another guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I feel bad for him because this always happens to him. But Anthony Lynn said if, he, if, if Taylor was healthy, he would start him. He's the starter, which – to me, it really makes no sense because, I mean, if you just look at this season, week one against the Bengals, uh, Taylor had a 53% completion rating, passed for 208 yards, six yards per attempt, no passing touchdowns. And it's not like the Chiefs' defense yesterday is a league-leading defense. I would kind of put the Bengals and Chiefs in the same tier of defenses, um, definitely among the bottom tier of the league's defenses, but – you know, so that kind of evens out the competition then, and you just see that, and you're like, there's so many throws that Herbert made yesterday that I don't think Taylor would ever attempt because he's much more conservative. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what the benefit is of you've already broke the seal. You started your rookie, and he proved he can cut it against the freaking Super Bowl champs. <laughs> Took him to overtime. You know, and obviously a big part of that was the Chargers' defense playing an amazing game against Patrick Mahomes, but. I don't know what the benefit is. If you've already played your rookie, what is the benefit of benching him? Maybe there is a benefit, and I'm actually going to do some reporting on that this week and ask people, is there a benefit to sitting Justin Herbert now after you already started? And they have yeah. the Panthers They have the Panthers next, which is not a really tough opponent. It's not like they're playing, you know, 49ers defense with Nick Bosa or something. Mm-hmm. So who, you know, they wouldn't be playing Nick Bosa anyways because of his injury. Because of ACLs, and everyone is tearing their ACLs. Um, yeah. Maybe, just an aside, maybe players will rethink that whole thing where they said, oh, it's totally fine if we have no OTAs and mini camps and off-season workouts and everything. Right. A lot of injuries. But to your point, I totally agree with you. Once you've gotten him in the game and he hasn't looked terrified, then I don't see why not. Because coaches get convinced that they can win the Super Bowl even when they can't. Even right. Like all of us can see it from the outside. Sorry, Chargers, this ain't happening this year. Right. But what they'll say is – well, we just played the Chiefs very close, so we must be actually good, and we want to have our veteran starter 
give us a chance to go win and get in the playoffs? And the answer shouldn't be that. Now, where I, I, I have to, of course, compare everything through the lens of Kirk Cousins. And so when we look at this tier of, of young players, okay, everyone would trade Kirk Cousins for Kyler Murray right now because Kyler Murray, I think, is going to emerge in, in the ballpark of the great quarterbacks in the NFL. But there are a lot of these that would be really interesting conversations. Like, would you trade Kirk for Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins or even Baker Mayfield right now? Because, I mean, he beat the Bengals, but as you mentioned, that's not like a super great accomplishment considering their defense. And, and I wonder what you think of this with just some of the – even someone like – Tua or Sam Darnold, who's got a little bit of a sample size on him. If you're in the middle tier and you're not necessarily a Super Bowl contender with your Garoppolo, Stafford, Cousins, Goff, even Dak, like would you trade those guys straight up for someone like Justin Herbert having almost no sample size on him aside from Sunday? Probably not. I don't know. I think it's too much of a risk. Like, I had high hopes for Drew Locke this season because um, I think he was really exciting last year. And, you know, I thought this would be a really good year for him. But he's he's hurt, you know. He, he just got hurt. He's going to be out, I don't know how many weeks, but multiple weeks at least. And so I think it's just too hard to tell. I mean, the jury's going to be out on him even longer now that he's injured. Yeah. So I just think it's too risky. I think unless unless it was a guy that, in the draft process, you almost took them or something, and you felt really confident, and it's like the same general manager who did the work on that quarterback and, and was like, oh, you know, I love this guy. Like, I talked to everyone about him. I watched all of his – if you if it was that situation where this was a quarterback, this was like your top quarterback in the draft in whatever year, then I could understand it. But I, I do think it's too risky for the reasons that – you know, we talked about before with the college game being so different and really it makes it so much harder to project how soon a quarterback is going to be ready and, you know, how if they will ever honestly be able to pick up the, that side of the game because we've seen, you know, two interesting quarterbacks, first-round guys. Uh, this year, Paxton Lynch couldn't even win the third-round, third-round, third-string third quarterback yeah. job in Pittsburgh. Right. Um, and he was completely out of the game last season, I, I think, if I'm right about that. So Paxton was someone who could not pick up the mental side of the game and, and um, you know, think fast enough to read defense, NFL defenses. And Josh Rosen, same thing. Josh Rosen's now on his third team mm-hmm. um, on a practice squad. Like the shot of him in uh, at the game, at the week one game, sitting in the stands, like – was hilarious. I mean, it was sad, but it was it was like hilarious. It was sad. It was hilarious in a sad way. And, and he's <laughs> another one. He's another one who was so great in college, you know, tenth overall pick, I believe, and just could not, has not proven he can pick it up fast enough to be a starter. Get back to the conversation in just a second, but even though sports took a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people 
fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts at all. Plus, Indeed provides you with powerful tools to make your search even easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire, and with 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire that you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates that you will see fast. Try Indeed with free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer anytime available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. When it comes to would you trade Kirk for guys like this, I mean Rosen, of course, aside, but guys who have not proven they can do it, even with some sample size, it is it, it would be Uh, on the very risky side to do so because you could do a heck of a lot worse than Kirk Cousins. Mm -hmm. The only, the only thing I think that Vikings fans might say at this point is that you wouldn't trade for those guys in 2018, but you might do it in 2020 considering where they are, because if it blows up on you, say you traded Kirk straight up, just in imagination land, you traded him straight up for Sam Darnold. And then Darnold next year is absolutely awful. And you're like, okay, this guy actually can't play quarterback. Whoops, we made a big mistake. You'd still be able to draft the next guy because you're not locked in. And that is what is so interesting about the middle tier versus the younger tier, that even if Daniel Jones is awful, just draft the next guy. Josh Rosen is perfect example. You draft a quarterback and the Cardinals just went, "Mm, not good. Let's just draft the next guy. And Mm -hmm. That's where I think there's probably some jealousy of Vikings fans when we're talking about these young quarterbacks and how Herbert looked, where they'd say, you know what? Yeah, that, that guy actually might be bad because who knows, right? But at least it would be interesting to find out, and at least you have cap flexibility and flexibility to move on whenever you want. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think when the Cardinals did that, people were really surprised and kind of thought it was a stupid decision. But as we've seen, it – totally worked. It's definitely working out right now with Kyler. The, the Kyler and Cliff combination is really working. Um, and, you know, I don't think Josh Rosen is totally done. I think there's still potential for him. It's totally, his career has been so completely unfair. He's had like a new offensive coordinator, I think every season <laughs> since he was a freshman in college. So this, this guy has had to pick up a new offense every single year. So I think it's a little unfair um, the way that his career has panned out. But I do think, you know, the Cardinals showed that that is totally an option and it can be really valuable and worth it. And this past draft season when Washington was rumored to be interested in Tua, it was enough, It was going to be the same situation. And I kind of I, – I didn't think they would do it, but I wouldn't have been surprised if they did do it because Arizona sort of proved to people and kind of set this precedent that that can work. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, teams should, I mean, even uh, Carolina did this once upon a time with Cam, where they picked Jimmy Clausen. He was awful. And then they Mm -hmm. said, well, let's just pick Cam then. And a lot of times, if your guy's awful, I mean, think about the New York Giants. If they don't believe in Daniel Jones after this year, they might be drafting number two overall or number one overall. And so you just pick Trevor or you pick uh, Justin Fields and say, 
hey, Daniel, it was great. Go be a backup for somebody else. Or or they fall into the, you know, he falls into the Tannehill category and right. might go be good for another team. So that, I, I love that um, we've gotten much more quarterback movement in recent years where we do have a Tom Brady moving and, and, these, and these types of things are shifting and always changing and happening. So that's, I guess that's a good way to describe football in general. Um, yeah, it's been more fun when they're on the move. Right. I mean, and for, uh, you know, the Madden game, they don't change anything in the Madden game, so they just need the new rosters. Um, so that's, you know, <laughs> that's just a little, little jab there from somebody who used to like Madden. Thanks for not changing anything. Uh, well, let me, let me just ask you one more question because it's been a super fun quarterback conversation. Tell me the early season result that's not going to stick. So the one that either someone is bad, someone is good, someone is mediocre, that will be completely different and will be going, huh, that changed a lot six weeks from now. Um, I would pick two situations that I'm just not sure about either of them. Um, first would be Baker, and I think, well, his – it's been inconsistent. You know, they were awful week one. They were a lot better week two, but they were a lot better against the Bengals, which is one of probably one of the worst teams in the league. So I just am completely unsure about Baker and like where this team is headed. I think it could really go either direction. So that one um, is one I'm going to keep an eye on because I'm just not, you know, I, I kind of doubt where they're going. I, like, I, I don't feel confident until I see him, like, play the Steelers, basically. Plus, it's Cleveland. And, uh, right. you know, so, they'll always be Cleveland. So that was interesting. Gardner Minshew, also shocking, has done really well the first two games. Like, super efficient games. I think, you know, week one, what did he have? One incompletion. Yeah. And then yeah. Yesterday, also really good. So, not that I doubt him, but I just don't know how sustainable that is. Um, for him to continue playing that efficiently. So that's another one. And then the third one would be um, Mitch Trubisky. And I would say he's played average the first two weeks. It's been inconsistent. First half yesterday, he was good. Second half, they didn't score any points. And the Giants could have beat them but didn't. Um, Like, had every opportunity to beat them. Because they're the Giants, yeah. Right. (laughs) So... You know, they're 2-0, and but I don't think – like, I don't see him finishing this season as the Bears starter. I kind of see Nick Foles coming in maybe, like, week eight or something. Yeah. Because they have kind of a soft start to their schedule. So I think when the games start getting harder and they start playing better defenses, I think things are going to change. And also, I mean, DeAndre Swift just catch it and backwards into the end zone, and then all of a sudden Mitch Trubisky's not 2-0. and So I, I – yeah. Yeah, I'm totally with you on that. I could see a three-game losing streak that results in Nick Foles coming off the bench. And then then you never know. Then he could have the four greatest games that the NFL's ever seen, or he could be horrible. Uh, so that'll be entertaining for you as a Bears fan. Uh, Kaylin, this is super fun, and I'm glad we could get together again. Uh, follow her on Twitter, at Kaylin Kaler. That is K-A-L-Y-N, just like you spell Jalen Holmes, who's <laughs> actually playing now. So good for you, Kaylin. Proud of him. Go Jalen Holtz. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, yeah, make sure you follow her and, uh, of course, read your stuff at Bleacher Report these days. And uh, really appreciate the time. Thanks for coming on. Thanks so much. It was fun.
The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure that you can get in on every possible change to win this season. From game spreads to totals to team and player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, championships, all day every day head to bet online today and take advantage of the great sign up bonuses don't forget to use the promo code bluewire at betonline.ag that's bluewire all one word betonline your online sportsbook experts